may have to pass me some. Um, we're going to be going out of Ecclesiastes tonight. How many of you have ever studied the book of Ecclesiastes? I'm not talking like breeze through it, breeze over it, but just really spent some time in this book. Hands, hands. If I could get a volunteer, the first time that you went through it, I'm going to pick on you, Dustin, because you're up here. The first time that you went through it, what what was going through your mind? This is horrible. This is I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you, church. The first time that I studied through Ecclesiastes, Lord forgive me, I had this thought like I think somebody messed up. I'm serious. I had this thought like, like, we may need to change our canons. Clearly nobody's reading the Bible because this shouldn't be in there. Like, that's what, I, that's what I thought the first time I went through this book. And if you, go read it. <laughs> You'll find out why, okay? Uh, so I, I want to put that out there um, just for your consideration as we go through this. And if you ever go through it and read it yourself in your own time, don't be surprised if the first couple hundred times through, you're still asking yourself, like, is, is this supposed to be in here? Because there are some very, very, very difficult truths in this book to wrestle with. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there for you that it's on purpose. Right? I think God wants us to wrestle with the truths that are found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay? So even though it is a very difficult book, do not shy away from it. Okay? Do not look at it and be like, man, that is absolutely confusing. I'm just going to put that away and go to something easier. Um, second thing, a warning as you go through this book, is this book will break you. Okay, this book will, bro- you, you may not need the Kleenexes tonight, but if you go home and spend any kind of time studying this book, it will break you. And, and it will break you down to the point that you'll be like, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Because the truths that come at us out of the book of Ecclesiastes are heavy hitting truths. Okay, I think it, there's none of us that cannot relate to things that we find in this book. And there's none of us who will not be pierced through by an honest assessment of our lives in studying through this book. Okay, so having said that, I ask that you would pray for me because apparently God's going to have me for however long in the future preaching through this thing until we get through. Church, I want to tell you that I love you. Um, I want to tell you, <laughs> have to be have to be very gentle because there's going to be a lot of things that we see as we go through this book that are not gentle in any way. This, I, I didn't say it would comfort you. I said it would break you. Okay? And I want, because I believe that God wants you to be broken open. Okay, I think he wants you to be broken open and pieced back together by Christ. 
Okay, so what is going to happen? So I want to give you now. I don't know. I, I, kind of the preaching rotation. Like I, I'm, I don't know when I'll preach again, um, but I want to kind of give you kind of an idea of where the Lord is leading me in preaching to you, my church. Uh, first, we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes so that you all feel very bad about yourselves. Then we're going to go over to the book of Romans, which is a book that I love and that I've spent a lot of time in over the past years. And we're going to build ourselves back up in the gospel. Okay, because here's the thing that I think has happened is I think that in many of our lives, this is kind of part of what we do. It's not who we are, right? Like, it's just something, a little module that we add on to our lives. Like, oh yeah, I go to church also, not I am part of the church, right? It's just another little thing, right? We identify ourselves by a bunch of things, okay? So what I want through this study is everything that you identify yourselves with to be stripped away, not by me, not by me. This is one we're going to open up in prayer in a second, but by the Holy Spirit. I may, and it may not be tonight, Lord, I don't know if you want it tonight, whatever, At some point through this, you will see me broken, okay? And this is why the message this morning was spot on. Like, Romans, I I fell in love with the book of Romans. I fear this book because every time I look into the book of Ecclesiastes, I am pierced through. But it's good for us. It's good for us because it leads us to Christ, right? When we have nothing else to cling to, we only have Christ, we find He's all that we need, okay? We find that He's all that we need. So uh, that's kind of uh, just a little, you know, up front. I'm going to read something else, too, um, after we open up in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this amazing day. I thank you for the breath that you've placed in my lungs, Lord, for the heart that you have allowed to beat within my chest. I ask that you would forgive me, Lord, so often and even today I have failed you, and if I'm honest with myself, I'll probably fail you before I lay my head on the pillow tonight. Lord, I thank you for calling me to preach, but in calling me to preach, I also understand that if your spirit does not move, then we will not be moved. So I ask, Lord, that your spirit would move, not in this place, but in our hearts, not in a building, but in this temple that you're making clean. Lord, change us, break us. Let us not be afraid to ask You to break us. You will not leave us broken, but You will build us back better than we were before. Lord, as we study this book, You know my fears, You know my insecurities, You know, Lord, I am open to You like a book. My life, what is hidden from You, Lord? What is What of any of our lives, Lord, is hidden from You? Lord, let Your Word pierce us through. Let us be 
broken to pieces and built back by Christ. Lord, seal my lips that I speak nothing of myself. Let your spirit speak. Let your word speak. I pray that you move, Lord. I pray that you move. Because if you don't move, my words are vain. Lord, if If you don't move, our lives are vain. Lord, I'm so tired of the vanity that I find in my in my own life. Lord, I pray that your church would grow tired of vanity in their lives, that they would seek your rebuke. That they would welcome your chastening rod, Lord. I thank you for Christ. In Him we find our meaning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so I want to read to you. I, I don't, this may be, may be the first time that I've ever done this, um, even in all my teaching. Um, I, as I study, I, and it's kind of weird, um, I'm, I'm trying to, to make a commentary. Like, not like to sell in the bookstores, but something to pass along to my children and my children's children. So as I study through God's Word, like, like y'all think I'm long-winded here. <laughs> you should see my notes on Ecclesiastes. So I take notes. And I, I, I don't really share them with a lot of people. Like, at some point, you know, if, if somebody wanted to read them, you know, that would be fine. But I hope to be able to give it to my kids one day and to my, you know, to kind of pass it down. So uh, so as I study, I, I, I just write down my thoughts. So as I read this, it'll sound kind of, a lot of it will kind of sound personal. Um, so this is my thoughts. I've, I've been studying before we did the study the Bible studies through Ecclesiastes. I had been studying, kind of focused on the book of Ecclesiastes for probably six months, and then however long the Bible study was, like a year maybe, um, and then leading up to this point. After the third or fourth, what I would call deep studies that I had done myself through it, I, I made these notes, um, just kind of high level, on my thoughts as I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. So I want to read them to you, um, just so that you can kind of get an idea of what you might could expect as we study through this book. So Ecclesiastes, this is, this is kind of just the, my introduction to it. As I've studied this book, I've been faced with many emotions and many thoughts. First, I was in amazement at just how screwed up Solomon was. I asked myself, how can a man known for being so wise make so many dumb mistakes? Second, I began to pity this man. How sad it would be to know that you've wasted your life away on vain attempts at self-fulfillment and personal satisfaction, only to end up unfulfilled and unsatisfied. Third, I began to understand Solomon's struggle and even identified his struggles as my own. Fourth, I began to see Ecclesiastes as a confession of a broken heart. 
This book is a wise confession of a heart so broken that only... that only God can mend it. Finally, I began to realize that this book, unlike any that I've read in the Old Testament, possibly the entire Word of God, forces my heart to come to terms with its own depravity and need to be, be made right with God. This book requires of its reader to confess, to confess for the glory of God, confess, I challenge you to explore this book with a heart ready to be broken. And when your heart is in pieces, let it be mended back together by the work of Christ. Let us also heed the warning that this book reveals throughout. That if you hear these words and can go on living, loving, and chasing after the lusts of the flesh and the pleasures of this world, that God will lay waste to your life. And though it may not come physically, as Solomon never lost his power or his possessions, it will certainly come spiritually and emotionally, as the tone of this book makes clear. So as you can tell by my thoughts that I'd written down. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I want to give you just a little bit of background on this. And I want us to kind of, there's a couple of things that, that I've kind of written down in my Bible um, so that every time that I read this, before I read it, because when I read it, I read it, tend to read it the whole way through. So I'll start at the beginning. So I've got a couple of notes, and, and the first thing that I'll tell you is if you're studying through this, make sure you have a good grasp on who Christ is. Okay, make sure you have a, a good grasp on who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, uh, because that is going to be what helps you get through this book without being hopeless, okay, without feeling like, well, what's the use? Uh, so one uh, piece of scripture that uh, I try to keep in mind as I'm going through this is Acts 17:28. Um, just it's a short little passage. It says, "For in Him we live and move and exist." Another translation would read, "For in Him we live and move and have our being." And this Him that it's talking about, this is Christ. So in Christ we live. And move and exist. I want us to understand that as, as Christians. I want us to hold fast to that as we look through this book. The second thing that I've written down, and this is apparent as, as if you studied through this, is that God can and will use fallen men to display truth about Himself. This is what we see as we, as we study through Ecclesiastes. I want you to understand that with me. As, as we get to digging into this book... This is a confession. Like, this is hard. Like, I can only imagine what he was feeling as he was being led by the Holy Spirit to write down the truths that we see in this. He is brutally honest about where he's fallen short in his life. 
where we tend to try to keep these things quiet and keep them secret, and I'm not going to tell you about it because what would you think about me? Here he is at the end of his life, and God is leading him and saying, all the stuff that you messed up, you're going to write down, and there's going to be generations upon generations that are going to read and learn from your failings. Right? So I want us first, it, we, we open up. So Solomon writes this book. If you know anything about Solomon, Solomon was a very wise person, son of David. David noticed his wisdom from a young age, and then as Solomon becomes king and ruler, as he takes the place of his father, he then asks God for more wisdom. And God answers this request, and it's said of Solomon that there was none like him before him, and that there will be none like him afterwards. So I want us to take that into account too, is that this book is not being written by an old man who is out of his mind. Because that's what, when, I mean, seriously, if you read it, that's what your flesh is going to tend to drag you towards. Is, this guy was loony. Like he was out of his mind. Like going to chapter 7, you know what he says? He says in chapter 7, this is just to throw out there some of the crazy things that he says. He's like, one in a thousand men is virtuous, not a single woman. Like, how popular am I going to be when I get up here and preach that, right? Good news is it's still a little while away, okay? <laughs> Maybe it'll change, right? No. Okay, so there's some seemingly crazy things that are said in this book. Let us understand that it's difficult to read because he wants us to wrestle with these truths, okay? We're going to turn to uh, chapter 12, okay? We're going to turn to chapter 12 and we're going to read... We're going to read this. So in the beginning, uh, chapter 1, it says, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled Jerusalem. That's chapter 1, verse 1. If we go over into chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. This is kind of his concluding words. He says this. Verse 10. The teacher sought to, fi to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. So the thing that we notice, and it's crazy, you, you, you see this at the end after you've read through the entire book and, and you're kind of left wondering, like, is this guy crazy and out of his mind? You see him write this, that he's in fact chosen his words very carefully. So this is going to be interesting. One of the most amazing places in this is going to be the passage that I just quoted from out of chapter 7 that says one out of a thousand men is virtuous and not a single woman. Like the, the one verse that is the most absolutely politically incorrect thing to say today. What we're going to find is the most amazing truth is found in that. He picked his words very Carefully, The Holy Spirit led him very carefully. So as we study this book, if something strikes you as sounding crazy, instead of saying, well, Solomon must have been out of his mind, you're like, Lord, what do you want me to see in this? And what part of me is crazy because I can't understand it? Okay, Because that's what, it, that's what you'll find as you study through this book. 
is that most of the places that you find the hardest to understand, you find the hardest to understand because that's a part of your life that is so far bent from where God wants it to be. Okay? So let's keep that in mind as we, as we press on, is that he tells us at the end of this book that he has chosen his words very wisely. That being said, let's open up chapter 1, verse 2. Keep in mind, he's chosen his words very carefully here. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Another translation might read, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does he, what does he mean here? What's he, what's he trying to tell us here? Somebody that's spent a little bit of time in this. Is, is everything vain? I want you to think about it. Everything earthly is vain? Is this, is this a true statement? So me going to work tomorrow, I shouldn't do that. I'd call in my boss and be like, hey, this whole thing is vain. <laughs> and my wife would probably, would probably say otherwise. Right? She, you better get up and go to work. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is completely meaningless. Let's read on. This uh, kind of just a teaching point along the way. This is one of the reasons that I'm big on context is because you could just pluck that out and say everything and everything is just meaningless and vain. What's the point in anything? But in context, we see something differently. In the context of the passage, it's sitting here and verse 3 says, What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? This is the context for what he's saying in verse Two, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work? Where? Under the sun. If you read through Ecclesiastes, every time that you see this statement, underline it. Okay? Underline it. This is the context for everything that he is going to say along the way. Okay? So... Anybody that knows me, if, in, in, if you've been in my class, you know this. If you were in the youth the past year, you know this. I'm big on what's called apologetics. Paul said, know the reason why it is that you believe, right? And always be ready to give a defense. Like, that idea is what theologians would call apologetics, right? Defending your faith. When we read this, what I would tell you is that Solomon was the first person to give an all-out, locked-tight argument for the existence and the need for the existence of God. And we can see the summary of it in verses 2 and 3. Is that if there is no God, everything is meaningless. Because if there is no God, then all that is, is what is under the sun. And in that, it's true. The good news is, is that God is. So we find meaning, not in things under the sun, but in the sun. 
You follow me? You follow me? I want you, I want you to be paying attention. Be paying attention. So if your life is lived chasing after things found under the sun, then if those things are meaningless and vain, then what does that mean about the pursuits of your life? What does it mean? Then those purposes and plans and hopes and desires are vain. They're vain. I mean, seriously, you want to be all kinds of rich so that you can die and leave it to somebody else. This is, he's going to save this. Right, like we're going to see as we dig through this. Like he doesn't leave any stone unturned. So if you think, "Well, I got that one thing that's under the sun that I'm going to that I'm going to kind of put out there, and and it's not meaningless and vain," I, I've got a list. When we went through this Bible study, I made a list. I got everybody to say, like, you know, what are things that we chase after? What are things that we place value in? under the sun. I've still got that list. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to see if any of the things that you chase after in this life just so happen to fall in this list. And if you don't have one, oh, and by the way, I've been studying this book for a while and I've looked at everything in this list and it covers every single one of these things, right? So if you've got something else, throw it out at me. Throw it out at me, all right? So the things that we chase after under the sun, happiness, family, friends, jobs, Houses, cars, possessions, our toys and our gadgets, entertainment, sports, fitness, our body image, our self-esteem, popularity, personal health, free time, future, and our hope in the future, money, wealth, we find ourselves very greedy, success in life, earthly success in life, peace, Security, passions, other people's opinions of us. We like to please others. We like to be attractive. We want companionship. We're lustful. We hope to find comfort, stress relief. We don't want any more worries. We seek after power, control. We like to always be right. We're gluttonous with food. We think that if we're educated or wise or knowledgeable, that that will somehow win out. We want to have sound minds. Rest. And a pursuit of perfection. So these are the lists that during the Bible study that we came together and kind of compiled as of general ideas of what we tend to seek after in places that we seem to so often be found trying to put value in those. And, and I want to say this up front. Family, not a bad thing. Job, not a bad thing. Dustin, you said it perfectly. Like, good gifts make very, very lousy idols. Good gifts will leave you with vanity if those gifts are what you seek and pursue after instead of the one who gives those gifts. So keep this in mind as we're studying through this book. The context of everything that's being said, all the meaninglessness that he's showing us, 
how, I mean, he's going uh, to, he really goes through in a big way and destroys every, everything that you think that you could place value in under the sun. And some other things, it's good to know about the guy that's writing this book, right? So he's wise. Wisest guy you'd probably ever meet. What else, what else do you know about Solomon from the Bible? What else do we know? So wise guy, right? Rich? How rich? Beyond Bill Gates rich. Like filthy, stinking rich. I saw, I was, I was researching this and I saw one thing, and I may misquote it now, but I'm thinking there was at one point in time where it was like $7 billion in a year rolled past him. Like he could literally like, hey, I want bears dancing in my court. Go, somebody go get me some bears to dance for me. Like, that's the kind of wealth that this guy... <laughs> the very thing was funny. <laughs> Go get me some, you know, whatever. What else is known about him? Oh my goodness, the downfall. The downfall of him. I don't say that negatively about women. I've got a wife. Y'all are awesome. <laughs> I'm going to steal Dustin's line now. I would kiss your face off. <laughs> I told you I was going to use <laughs> He had a thousand women. Y'all hear me? I, I, a thousand wives. 300 were like princess type wives. And then, or no, 700 were like princess type wives. And 300 were concubines. We won't get into what concubines is tonight. I'll let y'all search that on y'all's own. Do a little researching outside. All right, 300 concubines. All right. Do you think he found happiness in any of that? Do you think he was satisfied in any of that? Now, I want us to ask these questions because you think that you will find happiness there. You do. You do. You may say no, but your life says yes. Right? You may say, no, I don't, I don't want none of that money thing, right? I, I would not find happiness there. Yet you toil and work away your life, neglecting other more important things. Because you've got to pay the bills, right? That's what, we, that's what we say. So let's go on into chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to read a couple here. We're going to read 4 through 7 and then come back and talk about this. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north, around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the seas. Do y'all like giving me feedback? I like when y'all give me feedback. What, what is this saying? What's, what's he pointing out to us here? This is good. This is good. What we, we see some patterns 
that come out here, things that are repeating again and again, right? Oh, this is good. Man, this is good. The Son, now some of y'all may think this, some of y'all may think this, but the sun didn't start rising the day that you were born. And it's not going to go into hiding on the day of your death. Right? It was here before you, and it will be here long after you. The world doesn't need you to function. I mean, how... Man, you think that if I, if I quit my job tomorrow, that place wouldn't be able to run without me. That's the kind of thoughts that we have. No, my friend. One day you'll find out when they downsize you just how much they needed you and you placed all your value and all your hope there. They don't need you. This, this verse reminds me of Job chapter 38 uh, where God replies to Job and he goes, into the, he goes into this long, like just lashing. He's like, where were you at? When I set the stars in place, where were you? Right? So the thing that he points out first and foremost after he tells us that everything is vain is he points out world don't need you. It doesn't need you. So this is the part that I'm kind of, I wanted to kind of lead you all into, that there's some very hard things that are going to be said as we study through this book. The truth is, is the world doesn't need you. It doesn't. The sun's not stopping. The rivers aren't going to stop flowing. The wind's not going to stop blowing. So if you find that you try to make yourself valuable trying to contribute something to this world? Dust. Dust. Maybe you could build something really cool and it lasts like the pyramids. Right? Give it another million years. Dust. Dust. Vanity. Vanities. If we find ourselves trying to find value and purpose, and meaning in this world. We're only going to set ourselves up for disappointment. We're only going to set ourselves up for disappointment. Another thing that I want us to point out here, and this is going to come into play again when we get over into chapter 3, which we're not going to do tonight. Uh, But when we get over into chapter 3, we're going to reflect back on the truths that we find here to examine the truths that we find in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is the seasons of life. right? It opens up with the season of life. Like There's a time for this, there's a time for that. That passage of text is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to reflect when we get there back on what we find out here next. Okay, So the next truth that we see in this is it doesn't depend on you. The sun doesn't need you to rise in the morning. Right? But there's one that it does depend on very greatly. God sets the path of all of these things. They move over and over and over and they're bound and fixed. The river doesn't go where 
It pleases. It goes where it's led. Right? We revolve around the earth. There's nothing outside of God's control and outside of His dominion. There's nothing that surprises Him or snakes up on Him. I don't know where this comes from, but I, it may be C.S. Lewis or, or somebody that, that said this, but that if you looked at a speck of dust on the farthest end of the universe, it doesn't dance in the wind without God telling it where to go. God is in control of the most minute detail. Not us. This One thing that we're going to find as we go through this book is that this is going to give us some crushing, some crushing perspective on just who we are. Right? So here we see, here we see that the world doesn't depend on us. Generations come and go. It starts off like that. Our generation will pass away. What are we leaving behind? Now, this is the thing that I want us to think about with each one of these truths. Okay, with each one of these truths, I want us to think about what is, the, what is God in His Word pointing us towards? Right? So I can't find meaning in just going and toiling away. How do I find meaning there? Surely He didn't create me and, and give me... like I, There's things that I like to do, like I'm a nerd, I'm a computer guy. right? And He placed those desires in me. Surely He didn't place those desires in me to just... Sit at home, right? So now I'm not telling you quit your jobs because your jobs are meaningless, vain, and pointless. What I'm telling you is the purpose for your life is not found in that. So when I go to work, there better be some other purpose, some other meaning that's not found under the sun, but beyond the sun. Something that's found heavenly. When we work, we work heavenly. So when I go to my place of work here on earth, I'd sure better be working heavenly. If all I do is spend my entire life working in a place and no one knows who I am or what I'm about, vanity of vanities. It's so vain. So meaningless and pointless. Yet we do it. Do we not? I mean, am, am I preaching to my... Am I the only one? Let's continue on. Verse 8. Everything is wearisome beyond description. So this is pointing back at what he's just said. This repetitive cycling of things. And when you think about this... When you think about this truth, and, and remember, the context is under the sun, right? The context is under the sun. Those things that happen here with no heavenly focus, right? When we think about those things, when you think about... I just want y'all all to go home tonight, and I want y'all to think about just how much the world does not want you or need you. How, just how much the world will keep going on and on when you're gone. Everything, this is what you'll find, everything is wearisome beyond description. To think about that, 
to think about that is depressing. That's why we're peeled out of our minds. We're so drugged up because we know the truth. We know the truth because we've been toiling away and it's like, what have I gotten for this? We know it. We know it. You know it. When I say this, you're like, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is why I say reflect back on Acts 17, 28. For in Him we live and move and exist. Because when we get to these places where we're like, man, alive, I can't find meaning, I can't find purpose there, it just leaves me without. You're created for something else. Created for something greater. Let's continue on in verse 8. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Can that be said of you tonight? I want you to think about this. I want you to I want you to I want you to let it run through your mind. You find yourself constantly jumping from one thing to the other to try to keep yourself busy. Do you oftentimes find yourself getting bored? Nothing seems to satisfy. Man, if this doesn't drive you to depression, I do not know what will. Let's understand Solomon's wealthy. And this is going to really play in as we get deeper into Scripture. Solomon's wealthy. Everything that you think will fill you. Because here's, here's the truth. We, we don't have enough money to realize what, what Solomon realized. That all that money... Well, here, here's what we think. We, we'll, I'll, I'm going to work for my job, and when I get that promotion, then that'll be the day. That'll be the day. My, my finances will be in good shape. I won't have to stress. I won't have to worry. And you find yourself 70, retired, and you never made it there. What hope is that? Man, let's... Let's heed the warning of the teacher here so that we don't find ourselves right where he was. We see or never satisfied. What do you try to satisfy yourself in, church? See, and this is the part that I don't know what it is, right? Like, I, I, I can't, you know, I, y'all think preachers preach on y'all or something. I don't know what your thing is. I don't. But I know for a fact when I say this, when I read this, I know that God's Word does not come back void. I want you to listen. I want this to pierce you. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we, are he- we hear, we are not content. 
Church, do you know why that is? It's true, yes? It's true. Can I get some head nodding? It's true. We do this. We do this. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that we're never content? It's because we're trying to find our contentment in lesser things than what we were made for. Do you know the reason you grow bored? Do you know the reason that your life is wearisome? You don't know the King of glory. You may think you do. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have become part of some tradition. But you still find yourself in this place of hopelessness. Let the King of glory in. Quit trying to fill your lives up with lesser things because they will all fail you And let the King of glory in. Let Him fill you. Seek to find your pleasure and satisfaction in Him. Listen to me. I fear for some of you that you will find your entire life summed up in that passage. You'll be laying on your deathbed and this will still be true of you that no matter how much you saw, you were never satisfied. No matter how much you heard, you could never find contentment. I want to tell you that there is one that you can search through for eternity. And never find the depths of His glory. Let yourself be swept away in that. And it will not be vanity of vanities. It will be holy, holy, holy. Verse 9, History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Again, we see this word and I would encourage you, highlight it whenever we come across it because he continues to mention this throughout the entire book. This is the context of what he's trying to tell us. He's trying to show us that you will find nothing satisfying under the sun. That everything derives its meaning from heavenly things. Alright? Everything. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. I want to point out two things here. One, this is not saying that the iPhone in your pocket existed like a thousand years ago. It didn't. Alright? That is new. Okay? It's not saying that computers existed like 
way back in the land of dinosaurs, it's not. Okay? The, the context of what this is trying to tell us here is, is that people have always been calling, not calling, but communicating with people, right? Like the basic tenets of life have always been the same. The basic needs have always been the same. So here's, here's the next problem. So you think like, you know, like I, if I can find some kind of satisfaction in my work or in my job, like if I can be fulfilled there. And then there's the other, the other people, the entrepreneurial types. That was, I would probably fall into that category. Like I'm going to do something new, right? I'm going to do something new. I'm going to find something new. And, and what he's telling us here, it's a vain pursuit. It's a vain pursuit. Nothing at the core, at the root of it is truly new. So this idea that you're going to be the one that does it, the one that finds it, the one you're going to be that one special one. Do you see this? Do you see this recurring thing like this? I, this personal, selfish, the sun doesn't revolve around you. Let's go back up in the text. All right? The sun does not revolve around you and does not depend on you. All right? Whatever news to come is not going to be by you. Flip over to Revelation. See who does the new thing. All right? Flip over there. See who it is that's doing the new thing. Verse 11. Man. We're going to end on this tonight. I don't know how long we'll spend on it. We're going to end on this. I want you to read it with me. We're going to talk about this. We don't remember what happened in the past. In the future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. How depressing is this book? I warned you. I warned you. We don't rem- I'm going to read it again. All right, because I know y'all didn't get that. I know y'all all look super happy. How are y'all doing this evening? <laughs> good, good, still good. <laughs> I'll read it again. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Is that true? Is that true? How sad is that? How sad! I'm going to be laid in the dirt one day and nobody's going to remember my name? Like a vapor. Absolutely. The blink of an eye, your life is gone and it meant nothing under the sun. Under the sun. Let's keep the context here because this is going to play in big time because there's a whole lot of people I remember I'll flip through this thing right here. Right? This thing's lined with names. Lined with names. What were you remembered for if you were in this? this you know. We don't remember what happened in, pa- in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. And this is absolutely true of every vain thing that you do. You will be forgotten. How many in here know their great-grandparents' names? All of them. We got a couple? couple? Right? Because you went on Ancestry.com or something like that? (laughs) Seriously. You can't remember your great-grandparents' names? 
What hope do you have? Really? Like, man, I hope I'm that good of a person that none of my ancestors remember anything about me, right? Like, that's, the, that's what happens, church. That's what happens. That's what's going to happen to many of you because you're going to live your lives chasing after vain pursuits and no one will remember that you even existed. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's one person. There's one person that I hope that I hope and pray remembers every one of you and what your lives become. And that one person is Christ. One person is Christ. May He remember our names. May He remember our names. You think He's going to forget about Stephen? Throw those stones. Throw them. You think He's going to remember that? Was that vain? Was that vain? How about Paul? Anybody going to forget about Paul in here? Anybody going to forget about him? Hmm. Now, the other disciples, can y'all remember their names? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you don't have to be forgotten, church. You don't have to be forgotten. But what you do must consist of more than what's found under the sun. Right? You're not going to be remembered for your job. Right? Raising of hands. Who remembers who the richest person was like 600 years ago? See, I don't remember who the richest person was. Well, who do you think 600 years from now is going to remember who Bill Gates is? Right? Most of you can't list the names of the presidents of the United States. The most powerful man in the world. You'll be forgotten. If you're chasing after vanity, you will be forgotten. Every single one of you. What are you living for? What are you chasing after? Let's chase after being forgotten, right? How about that? I'll, sign me up for a double dose of that, right? Let me be forgotten. Most of our lives, honestly, should be. Because that's how we live them. Chasing after vain, foolish things. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Heed the warning of Scripture. Let the Spirit of God pierce you and break you so that you don't waste your life away on vain pursuits only to be forgotten. 